The person who loses a leg envies a person who twists an ankle. And while there may be some consolation in thinking one situation is better than another's, it has to be remembered relative benefit does not guarantee you are the best off if everyone's situation was considered. Your level of satisfaction as to your condition relies heavily on your assumption you are aware of all possibilities. If you are not God your level of knowledge finite, and the one thing you may not be aware of is just how little you do know. How many persons think capitalism and democracy are the best possible options because they know only about two other choices, dictatorships and communism? Imagine finding oil on a parcel of land and buying another elsewhere because the black, gooey stuff seemed to make the land worthless. The early South Americans had little use for gold as it was too soft to be used in a weapon. The two fundamental components of a computer is sand and oil. If there is no God, where does mankind get his creativity from? Democracy is not the best of all possible solutions, nor is capitalism. But they probably are the best possible options on a scale of options you are aware of and can rate. There is a certain danger in making absolute statements based on relative comparisons. Eating half-cooked, lumpy oatmeal porridge is preferable to consuming rotten meat, but the comparison is irrelevant if we are talking about enjoying a decent meal. Democracy was a concept developed by wealthy slave owners with lots of time on their hands who loved to debate. The last thing that concerned them was getting input from the plebeian class. The Athenian government was more concerned about protecting their wealth from plebeians without giving them cause to refuse military service. The rights pertained to the patricians, the duties to the plebeians. Their democracy was only for them, and Western democracy did not change the situation much. The rights always go to the rich, and the duties always go to the poor. Democracy does not change that. Athenian democracy was a kind of holding company. Athens existed as a corporation in which the oligarchs held all the shares. It is possible to imagine the rich dissolving the government to form a corporation owned by the top few families and we would have our own Athens if we wanted it. But hold on, that is where Western democracies are headed. They are attempting to create a crisis serious enough to usher in martial law and end the possibility of the masses depriving them of power. Democracy may in some limited sense give power to the people. We have to think in terms of relative meanings. Certainly, the popular vote gives the people more power than they had under autocracy and the divine right of kings. But we are not comparing apples with oranges, we are comparing rotten fish with spoiled meat. Though perhaps a better comparison would be the difference between arsenic and a bullet. One is slower than the other, but the outcome is the same. If we compare democracy to autocracy, it is difficult to see how little power democracy has. In its basic form, it is not much more than mob rule. Simple majorities are easily swayed by demagogues and can easily become captured by extremists using inflammatory rhetoric. Nothing is more dangerous than democracy in its raw state. It takes us back to the primal roots of mankind's emotional base. Those who are able to sway the emotions of man win. No one knew this better than Shakespeare. The power of a demagogue over the emotions of the mob are incomparably illustrated in the speeches of Brutus and Mark Antony. Anyone who has watched this play unfold will not be left with any faith in the constancy, wisdom, or rational decision-making capacity of man in groups. 
Implementing a series of debates and secret ballot system moderates the impact of rabble-rousers somewhat, but their influence is not eliminated. When the vote is for representatives rather than policy, there is far less disruption to the body politic, but there is much less direct power also. The elected representative can take minority opinion into account and try and think more in the long term when forming policy, something mobs cannot do. But there is a fundamental difference between the democracy of the Athenian patricians and the democracy of the Western masses. Athenians were discussing investments. Western democracies discuss transfers. They may call what they do an investment, but it is an investment based on a transfer, not a true investment where the risk is held by the investor. A transfer is a brokered investment and brokers, even as governments, do not assume any risk for the investment which remains solely with the investor, in this case, the taxpayer. Democracy, when looked at it from economics, is the worst of two worlds. It invests other people's money in projects which may or may not be of their choosing and the investor assumes none of the risk. There is little to hinder rash and politically motivated investments. Indeed, because the return on the investment does not accrue to the broker government official, there is a risk he may invest in ways that will benefit him in other ways at some time after he leaves office. For example, the leader of a free nation may invest heavily in nations that are likely to appoint him to an international position once his own citizens have tired of his largesse. But what is the purpose or mission of democracy? It is impossible to rate or critique democracy if it has no purpose or operational standard. The absence of a standard of comparison makes a mockery out of claims it is the best possible system. How can it be rated the best if there is no rating system? It might be a good time to ask why are we even in communities? Why do we associate or cooperate? Why do we choose the way we do if there is no purpose of man? Surely there is no purpose to anything we do if we have no purpose. There are a lot of authors who will tie our choices to our bodily state. Human beings are said to seek happiness or pleasure or some form of comfort or absence of discomfort. Even were this true, it tends to beg the question as to what makes us happy and what conditions add to our comfort. The assertion is nor disprovable because everything we do can be said to add to our happiness or comfort simply because that is what we have done. We have demonstrated in other places that liberals are guided by avarice or the desire to possess physical property. This can be extended to globalism, a condition in which a cabal are said to conspire to take possession of the planet. But this by definition cannot be said to be the objective of all persons. This illustrates a failure of our thinking. Why do we think there is a single purpose that all persons share, indeed what leads us to conclude there is only one basic type of human being on the planet? This is not the view of the Bible or, one is tempted to suggest, the view of most other religions. The idea that the world contains at least two groups is quite implicit in most of mankind's institutions. Capitalism and conservatism have their contrary opponents in socialism and communism. Public and private ownership are thought to be at opposite ends of a continuum and embraced by different groups of persons. There is the possibility humans are just trying to survive, but not even this seems to be a universal desire. Suicide and other risky behaviors such as war belies the universalization of any sense of the sanctity of life. The true purpose of mankind is to radicalize or be radical. We strive to radicalize our thinking and our way of life. 
The corruption of this idea by Democrats have caused many to equate radicalism with extremism. The 1958 version of Webster's Dictionary defines radical this way. Radical, of, or from the root or roots, going to the center, foundation of source of something, fundamentalism, basic, as a radical principle. A basic or root part of something. The online definition of radical concerns change or action as relates to or affects the fundamental nature of something. The change is far-reaching or thorough. Radicalism is also said to advocate or a reference to thorough or complete political or social change. Radicalism is a push towards perfection unless the argument is that radicals are simply attempting to destroy everything. A fundamental change is a change that targets the source of a problem rather than just dealing with symptoms. Extremism is fundamentally different from radicalism. An extremist is defined by what it is opposed to. Extremism is a relative term that implies an opposite and equal reaction. One is not extreme unless one's position is balanced by a polar opposite position. Herein is buried the problem of democracy. Democracy is not radical, it is extremist. The very existence of a vote means there is opposition to it otherwise the vote would not be needed. Democracy is disassociated from the mechanisms of the market. This is important as the market is a way to turn opposition into cooperation. The market is radically transformative. We do not vote on what to have for lunch if everyone is paying their own bill. Generally, if one person is paying the bill, he or she chooses the menu or fixes an upper limit on costs, unless guests are given the explicit freedom to choose what he or she will eat, regardless of cost. Democracy is not a free market. Democracy is a tournament. Champions ride to battle cheered on by their supporters. The victory of the champion in the course gives victory to his supporters. The power of the people is a misnomer. There is no people as a unified block. If there was democracy would not exist as a way to reconcile the differences. Democracy is a legal process or legally ordained process that permits a majority of voters to choose which champion acquires the right to access the people's accounts. The process of voting is supposed to settle the question of which view or position will predominate for an election cycle. But to what degree is the fraction that loses good losers? But the more one side wins, the more likely they will create the conditions under which they will lose. Victory increases polarization and therefore the level of extremism that propels each group. Democracy is inherently polarizing. Those who win the election gain power and bragging rights over those who lost. A group targeted as a source of funds is resentful of the ones who receive the benefits. Yet, the question remains, can democracy fix itself or operate without generating extremist reactions? Can elections provide the tools needed to eliminate division? But how can a liberal government reconcile with conservatives or vice versa and retain its base? No government can take resources equally from everyone and allocate them equally to everyone. There is no tenable equality. If the state takes the same proportional amount from everyone, the poor suffer. If the same levels of benefits are given to all the rich are not helped though the poor are. If the taxation rate is fixed to income, the rich are penalized and investments are lost. It is not whether you think this is fair or not. The point is that whatever the state does will be objected to by a large segment of the population, even as others will applaud the measure. 
In other words, the actions of a government are inherently polarizing. Over time, the voter learns to hate the party because it always harms them or hates the party because it has betrayed them. The only way the party can maintain its base is if on balance it favors one side and discriminates against the other. There is no way around this paradox in a democratic system. Those who win an election and who form the government polarize voters. Supporters are helped more than the opposition supporters, otherwise the government loses support from the base. If the government attempts to support all groups equally, the result is similar to a death by a thousand cuts. Those who support the other party will not trust the government in power and its supporters will feel betrayed and look for other persons to represent them who are more obviously on their side. Extremism can only be resolved by a civil war. The fundamental basis of democracy is the military. When one half of the population can no longer be placated by hopes of victory in a coming election, civil disobedience is normalized. But how much can an incoming government do to pacify their supporters without enraging those in the opposition? There is a radical solution, but it cannot be found in the extremism that democracy engenders.